Hello everyone and welcome to Locked on Indian slash Guardians. We will do the switchover as soon as you can buy mar merch. That is the deal. I have everything set up. I will do the official switchover once you can buy merch, which is coming soon. And we're going to talk about that in the first segment of the show here. I want to thank you for making Locked on Indians your first listen today and every day. Free and available on podcasting platforms, apps, and the like. Uh, wherever you can get podcasts, you'll find Locked on Indian slash Guardians. So let's start there. Uh, the lawsuit is gone. The money grab got grabbed. As I tweeted today. And that's all this was. This was... Okay, the Indians clearly... I mean, they had done some preparations to announce the team name. But it was very, very, very clear to anyone paying attention that when it was released in July, the information about this, this was not planned. This was not ideal. This was not the way they wanted to go about it. And with what uh, has occurred since then, it's very clear that's the case. I think... This is my pure speculation... I think they were negotiating with the Guardians then to try to get this all figured out and that uh, the Guardians, the roller derby team, leaked the information. You know, they very quickly had their own new gear ready to go to sell and push their angle. And they probably reaped some very nice rewards from that. Uh, I don't know exactly what, uh, you know, nobody knows what the monetary was. There didn't seem to be an announcement of anything monetary going from the Indians to the Guardians. Uh, it was interesting that the roller uh, derby team, their whole thing was uh, it would hurt their brand having two teams being the Guardians. That's They were insistent. This was going to hurt their brand. Not that anyone knew about them, you know, five weeks before all of this broke. Outside of a small group of things, I've been part of club sports. I was a hedgehog fencer uh, back in Brooklyn. I know what it's like to be on a semi-competitive team, but it, I also know what that means. Like, uh, this was interesting to watch unfold. Because we all knew what it was. Nobody had any mis, uh, misunderstandings with what was going on here. And uh, now, after being... The whole point was it would, you know, irrep... Ir, I can't say the word. Ir, you know, it would damage their brand. Uh, all of a sudden, they're like, no, it's okay. We can both be here. And why do they agree to this now? Uh, maybe some money switch hands. We don't know. But also, I think they probably saw a giant jump in their merchandise sales. And I think they can continue to feel like they can sell the unofficial official gear. People don't, I mean, I don't love the new Guardians rebrand in terms of the imagery and logo and what they're doing. I don't particularly like the roller uh, derby teams either. I think they're both kind of uh, bad looking. But it gives, there are people who think that theirs is better. And, uh, you know, they, they can sell it. And they can essentially sell knockoff, official knockoff gear. They can do their own thing. They're going to, I think they saw the long-term benefit is they're going to sell so much more gear. Like, gear was going to be one of those things they would sell to the guys who played on their team and their family members and their extended family. Now, they, they're part of a bigger market. I mean, their market shares and merchandise and what they can sell is going to be huge. And right now, they're the only place you can get said gear. The Indians are motivated to get this done and just be like, yeah, you can keep yours. We'll keep our separate uh, everything. Because they want to get this out there by Black Friday. They want to get this out for shopping days. Uh, it was supposed to come out on Monday. It was delayed by all of this. Again, you know, probably a little bit of extra money changed hands. That was always part of the discussion if you, you know, read between the lines since the beginning. Uh, much like, I think this is a great uh, example of why I'm not worried about, like, an extended lockout. Because at the end of the day, you had two sides who were both motivated, knowing that their peak monetary uh, valuation was going to hit a point. And then after that, they were both going to lose. And they were able to reach a compromise. And I think at the end of the day, 
players and owners will figure something out similar to that. I think we'll we'll get there. I still maybe I'm being a Pollyanna with it, but I think that you know something will get figured out for the same reason that both sides are just you know there's a business and there's money and they know what's in their best interest. And as a sport on the decline, there's no way around it. Baseball is a sport on the decline. It is not. The gap between them and basketball in the NFL has gotten larger every year. They are closer to, you know, the hockeys of the world than they are to the NBA right now. That's just the way it shakes out. That's the truth of the matter. I love baseball. There are definitely times where I wish I had not gotten into the baseball of it all. Like <laughs> that I had gone for another sport, gone highly analytical, gone in depth, and I'd, I would have a brighter, you know, future ahead of me in those regards. And I, I feel that sometimes. But uh, in general, right now, uh, you know, I still love this game. I love talking about this game. I love the Indians. And I think that uh, when it comes to the overall lockout and concerns we have with the CBA expiring, that uh, both sides will be smart, just like in this situation, both sides are smart. You know, the, the roller derby team, like I said, they get to make the only unofficial knockoff, the unofficial official knockoffs. Uh, they can go out and sell, and I'm sure they're already selling things now for people who are like, I like theirs better, I'm going to wear that. Like, you'll probably see their shirts when you go to the Indians games. I think you'll probably see them get, like, a little corner of the market space. Uh, it might only be, like, 3-4%, but they'll get 3-4% of a large market space. And if they're smart, they'll make more from having that 3-4% to than they would from any buyout that was possible. Now, this is just step one when it comes to the Indians and financials. After I got done recording yesterday, uh, I noticed The Athletic had a whole big thing, and we're going to get into that in a moment here in segment two, talking about uh, the valuation that the ownership has given, what they're looking to do with the minority ownership, and why everyone's assuming, like, there's a lot of assumption that a minority owner was going to come in and that that is why this front office was going to have some room to spend. Uh, Now that there's not, you know... A pandemic and that they actually spent most of last season being able to sell tickets i do think they have some room to increase payroll but i am not someone who you know i see people out there i mean i've been talking about for months where i'm getting hit with like oh they can sign starling Marte, they can give him 18 million you know people projecting the indians to go out and spend like 30 35 million in free agency and i'm like you might want to slow down we're going to get into that we're going to get into now that we've discussed, hey, they are the Guardians. All the roadblocks are out of the way. They're moving forward. On Black Friday, you'll be able to go get gear. That is the focus for this. That is why this got done. They want you to buy their stuff. They want revenue from a new thing. They know that a new mascot, a new name is going to bring in a bunch of people who have just adamantly refused, honestly, to buy Indians gear for a few years because of their beliefs and views. Uh, and I think they'll have a huge payday from this. And they want to get that out there. And then we'll... We're going to talk more money in the second half, and then we'll come back and talk some more prospect failures. So Built Bar right now is our sponsor, and I love them to death. And they gave us these great talking points comparing themselves to Thanksgiving. Uh, And I do think they are delicious, but let's get real. Let's look at the flavors. That is the star with Built Bar. That is what you need to know. I I think, you know, ad reads are great. They're fantastic. They're very helpful if you don't necessarily know a product as well. But I know Built Bar, and right now you want to go there because of you know, they do their flavors. They do these pop-ups where you have a small cycle to go out and try them. And that is where I want to be your Built Bar guru. I want to tell you which ones to go get. Because right now, Coconut Brownie Chunk is a top three flavor that is available. The mystery flavor, if you guess it, you can win a cash prize. You can win <laughs> Built Bar. You can win all sorts of items. There's really cool things. If you can figure out what that mystery flavor is. And since it's a mystery flavor, it's currently on sale. Paranormal Pumpkin. 
I like pumpkin flavored. It is something I am having daily. The blueberry muffin has actual blueberries in it. That was a bit of a surprise when I got my free sample with that one to try. Coconut marshmallow and strawberry puffs. I love the puff. Uh, the pumpkin is also a puff, by the way. And that's the thing. Like, I love Built Bar. It has been a year plus. I'm still eating. I'm still buying. I'm still using this product every day. And if you want to go try the best tasting protein bar you can find, you want to go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCK15. I use it on all of my orders. You should use it to save yourself some money on what is the best tasting protein bar money can buy. I want to thank you again for making the Lockdown Indian slash Guardians your first listen today and every day. Uh, go check out Locked on Cavs for the awful, terrible Evan Mobley situation. Man, they were getting so fun to watch, and that sprained wrist is going to make the next two to four weeks just not as fun. That team is beat up. Uh, so let's let's do some league news because it does have some minor effects on the Indians. The Angels, so, you know, we're going to talk about money and incoming money and why it'd be nice if the Indians had more money. But sometimes when you have money, you do really stupid things like the Angels did. Uh, you know, the Blue Jays signing Jose Barrios after they traded a lot for him and gave him a seven-year extension. I mean, $20 million a year feels like a lot, but then you look at what a guy costs like that on the open market, and you're like, no, that's not bad at all. Uh, that's a smart nail. The Tigers going out and getting Eduardo Rodriguez, costing themselves a third-rounder to get him and getting him for at least two years, potentially up to four at a really good price. I would much rather have Eduardo Rodriguez than Noah Syndergaard next year. Uh, yes, Syndergaard has a higher upside, but let's count his total innings pitched the last two years. Are you ready? Total inning two. That's in 2020 and 2021. We have two innings pitched. Uh, I mean, he was really solid 20, age 22 through age 26, only one year with high injuries. But he was never a huge, like, you know, he passed 180 innings twice. I mean, then again, let's, we, we have to recalibrate when innings eater is anymore. He was really good. He has not been healthy. And guys take a while to come back from injuries like this. Year one is almost, sometimes their control is completely gone. Uh, sometimes it, they're perfectly fine. It is a huge gamble. And to go out and pay Noah Syndergaard, uh, you know, twenty six million was it? Uh, let me look. Maybe it's twenty one million because the calling up, flying out. You know, they gave him twenty plus million, and that cost them their second round pick. So, not only does that you know hurt this is a team with a relatively high draft position. Uh, I should look at what the twenty twenty two and you know I should go look at my own and that reminds me I should. I have my mock out there. I never ended up going back in and adding in those other picks that I had already written up. I should go do that. But yeah, the Angels were slotted to select uh, 13th overall. So that means they're giving up a pick. Now there's probably going to be, you know, it's somewhere in like the 70s. Uh, so they're giving up a relatively high pick uh, with that in the second round for one year. And a year where a player is not going to be 100%. It is, um, yeah, I mean, they need pitching, but this was not the path. <laughs> Go give Eduardo Rodriguez a little more money. Go do that deal. That is a better deal for next year, and it is a better deal for your future. This was, like, I looked at it first, I'm like, oh, okay. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, they gave up a draft pick, $20 million plus dollars for a guy who's thrown two innings in the last two years. And you're expecting him to come in and be the guy he was. That doesn't. It doesn't work that way. Who comes back and rebounds after two years of two innings? Who? 
sometimes having money doesn't, you know, doesn't lead to being smart. This is not a deal that I loved. Uh, upside Indians. So the, you know, the other qualifying offer signing with Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, that has no net effect on the Indians' draft positioning because the new Comp B pick will occur before um, the Tigers' lost selection in the third round happens. The shuffling doesn't affect. This benefits the Indians because with him getting less than $50 million and it being the Mets, this is a pick that will go in Comp B round. Um, so it's will be in that part. This means the Indians' second-round pick moves up a spot. So uh, instead of picking, you know, they pick 16th in the first round, but they'll actually pick 14th in the second round because, one, their pick is a little lower because of the Kumar Rocker selection, and two, their pick is uh, now that the Angels pick is out of there, so they're two picks up, which is the big thing right now because let's hope the Mets sign someone who got a qualifying offer. Let's hope they go out and, and like, sign Carlos Correa or do something ridiculous because if the Mets go out and sign a player... They would lose that second first round. They would lose the Kumar Rocker selection when the Indians would move up in round one. It's very unlikely to happen, but let's root for that this offseason. So let's talk about this piece over on The Athletic that, again, I read late last night uh, by Zach Meisel and Daniel Kaplan. And there's a lot of fascinating things in this because it gets into the, you know, what's going to happen with or, you know, what what right now is being put out there by ownership in terms of trying to get a new minority stake in place. And overall, like I read this and I went, oof. Why did I go, oof? Well, first off, uh, they are valuing the team at $1.4 billion uh, when they're going out to look for someone, which is a 21% increase. So again, they're claiming like, oh, we didn't have revenues. We lost money. Things are going poorly. Then in the last year, the Indians have increased by 21% in value, which is not true. There's no way a team goes from one to one point four billion. I mean, they were. This is a ridiculous estimate, just on face value. But it's a way to try to get in higher money out of someone. I mean, that's just all it is. It's it's a faulty estimate, unless they are like hiding how much money they are making. Uh, so either no matter what, uh, they're either lying to get more money out of a minority owner, or they're lying to uh, to cry poor to the fan base. Either way, it's not a good look uh, seeing that. And it's it's just baloney. There's no way around a 21% increase from last year, especially when you want to sit there and claim that you lost money over lots of money over the past few years, uh, and then had the lowest or second lowest payroll in baseball. Uh, it, it's a very bad look. Two, I think what's fascinating is the whole idea that when Sherman became minority owner, there was a pathway, and it stinks that this didn't happen with every, you know, how awesome he's already been as an owner in Kansas City. There's a pathway for him to take over and be the, you know, main owner. And so the the interesting thing, I want to make sure I get, there's many interesting quotes. Uh, well, I mean, at first, it was all over the place, the financier said. First, it was like kind of a control cell, you know, a path to control, which was relatively short, and then it got longer and longer, and it sounds to me like Paul changed his mind and isn't ready to cede control anytime soon. So he wants someone to come out and, you know, we'll get into the percentage of the team that wants to be sold, but now it's like, eh, I don't want to give up ownership anymore. It's like, I'll sell enough, but I'm still going to be the bot. Like, you have to find someone who wants to have the feather in their cap, but also is fine with not being the boss, which is hard 
when you have this much money invested and it's hard honestly with people who are used to getting their way when you have the leeway to you know throw around a few hundred million you're used to being the boss you're not used to uh, not having control and now you have to find this relatively you have to thread a very small needle of finding a someone who has that type of money be someone who's going to be okay with not having a quick path to ownership being the majority owner and then you have to uh, also find someone who's interested in owning a sports team and has all of these things is going to be baseball and Cleveland baseball related. Like owning a share of the Indians is not doesn't give you the cachet of owning a lot of other organizations. That's just the truth of the matter. Uh, you know, we talked about baseball is a third place sport. It does mean that the cachet of being a, a an owner, you know, uh, isn't as high. So you're it's a hard needle to thread. You know, there is this talk during the season that it sounded like they had a really good candidate, but this article makes it seem like uh, there is not a set minority ownership to come in and take over. This uh, this article definitely makes it look like they are looking uh, during the season. It was made, seemed, said, written that uh, there was someone in place. It really was proposed the way I read the articles and talked with others. We thought that it was, you know, basically the season would end. We get so far down the road. New ownership group, minority owner would come in. It was all set. It was good. And then that would allow this team to increase payroll from being the lowest in the American League. Uh, and, you know, the the team cited, as it says in this article, the pandemic and a lack of fan-driven revenue as the impetus for curtailing its spending uh, through the payroll trimming that commenced before the, fan, sh- the shortened and fanless season of 2020. Now, again, that's also a reminder that even though they use that as the excuse, they still say that the franchise increased by 21% in value. <laughs> Uh, so it's it's definitely, you know, they are, you can't do this. You can't, with one hand, raise something and use that same excuse to lower it, which is exactly what they're doing. Um, you know, there, there's a lot going on. I, the other important thing to point out is talking about how much of a share they are selling, uh, which, when you look at it, I mean, we never knew how much Sherman was, but it is very clear through everything that has slipped out that he eventually owned 30% of the Indians. And that 30% has been an escrow, and that has been a situation. And now Allen & Co., this New York-based investment bank, uh, is saying that the equity that they are trying to shop is 40%. So that means, again, he's trying to sell not just that Sherman part that's uh, in escrow, but he's also trying to sell more of his share of the Indians. He's trying to get more money out at an inflated rate while still maintaining control. I think this is, again, I mean, let, tell me what you think. Uh, hit me up on the Twitter at Draft. Am I crazy? Am I going over the top here? Or does this seem like almost an impossible needle to thread? Uh, and if they don't get a new minority owner, honestly, even with the full season of having fans in there, how much can we expect them to increase payroll? I mean, if you're viewing it at $50 million, with the jumps players will have in arbitration, uh, with the increases even in Jose Ramirez's contract, yes, you take the money off the books with Roberto Perez and Nick Wickren, that gets balanced out very quickly through arbitration and um, Jose's bump. There's going to be not a lot to spend. It's like, what are they, maybe 10, 15 million in free agency? Maybe. 
which again, you might say, hey, that's like what they spent last year. But remember when they spent $15 million last year in free agency, that was this whole, we went over, we went past what we were willing to do. We weren't going to do that. That that was, we had to get a special mandate to get the money to go sign Eddie Rosario. Uh, that was a big deal that was made. And now we're in a situation where, I mean, they may end up with a strikingly similar payroll from a year ago. It might go up a bit, like I said, but I'm people who are out there thinking that this payroll is going to increase 30 35 million no i 10 to 15 is my best bet maybe they do find someone maybe there's someone I, who is interested you know if you go and you look at the data the the gap between the super wealthy and everyone else got much bigger during the pandemic and i think it's you know 90 percent of the united states wealth is owned by like one you know less than one percent of uh the country so uh, you know we're, we have that here there are people who are rich enough there could also be a conglomeration that could come together um you know lebron people always bring him up he technically owns part of the red sox right now so he cannot own uh part of the indians he already owns another team he's already part of a conglomeration that owns part of the red sox so that's not going to happen here and uh you know again lebron wasn't a fan of a single cleveland sports team he, yes, we saw him like rooting for the Indians when they were in the postseason, and I enjoyed it as much as everyone. But uh, he was the Yankees fan. You remember that at his core. Uh, he's not a, a, a Cleveland sports fan, really. So I don't think he's going to change anytime soon. And I, I don't know where they're going to find an ownership group. So uh, again, hit me up on, at Twitter at JeffMLBDraft. Let me know what you think. Uh, we're going to take our break, come back, and talk about more prospects. What do you out there know about betonline.ag? You should know a lot if you listen to the show because I've been talking about them for a year. They're back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for basketball and football action this season. Head over to their new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball postseason, NHL, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. So, you know, I expected to hear some feedback after yesterday's show. The world was kind of quiet. Uh, I thought, you know, Snyder being an interesting player, a local kid, what he had uh, accomplished uh, would maybe generate, and just Andy Marte, uh, there, but uh, not much. So let's let's court controversy. Let's talk about Trevor Crow. So Trevor Crow was a 14th overall selection in 2005. Uh, he had been drafted before then. He had been a productive player at the University of Arizona. And I'll tell you right now, the more time I've spent following the draft, the more that like everyone knows that like New Mexico and New Mexico State has overinflated offensive numbers. It's part of the reason nobody cared about Nick Gonzalez when I wrote my first article about him back in 2019. Uh, before the or no it was that 2020 no it was 2019 was my first i you know i'd have to it, it gets blurry but either way it, it's a long history of like the dustin petersons of the world and the like where guys go out there and it doesn't translate now arizona and arizona state don't have that rep but they absolutely should uh guys crush there because of the thinner air and it just does not translate trevor crow was jason kipnis before jason kipnis now, Kipnis, you know, I know I can get myself in trouble by confusing him. He also went to an Arizona school. He was also a corner outfielder who was going to be converted to second base. 
for Trevor Crow went so poorly in 2005 that, uh, you know, because they, they had him play in low A, high A, double A. Uh, he played across three levels that year. Though double A was all of 10 at-bats, it was very limited. Playing some outfield, playing some second base. But it, it they gave up on that very quickly. They thought he could play second base. He did not think he could play second base, and it did not work. And yes, I spent a lot of time being the Trevor Crow detractor in the Indians minor leagues. If you go back to my early writing around 2007-ish at, uh, at when it was Indians Prospect Insider, uh, he just, you go through his game, he walked an okay amount. He had good speed, but there was no power. The batting averages were mediocre. Uh, there was not a great, he was not a great defender. And here's where I court controversy. I never... Trevor Crow had the most stories of someone who was the least focused on baseball. Uh, he was one of those guys you'd always hear second or third hand about what his focus was on. And it was more on excitement and other things and not on baseball. Now, he, he, he obviously was focused enough to get to the big leagues. And that's some of these guys in the series... Never had that happen. He, you know, he had four years in the big leagues, 118 played or 818 played appearances, 265 big league games. Good for him. He made it. I don't know how. Brad Snyder does not get an opportunity. He is taking four picks later in an earlier draft. Has better production in the minors. Does more in the minors. Trevor Crow has no, plus speed, but no other tool is average. And it he carves out, you know, keeps getting opportunities, keeps bouncing back. And I just kind of look at it and I go, I don't know. So why was he... I, he was a top prospect because he was a high first-round pick. You know, he did hit 400 that last year for Arizona in the SEC. At 400, average 477 on base, 715 slugging with only nine home runs and uh, 1.192 OPS. Uh, walked more than he struck out. Really good numbers in general. But again, this is an era where it's completely different than today in terms of like the bats the hitters got to use. Why it didn't work was he wasn't good enough. You know, we talked about that with Marte. Uh, Marte was had better production throughout the minors. And this is a player through his minor league career at a 741 OPS. Even as a minor leaguer, the numbers weren't great. Like It was just never there. He didn't have good enough tools. He didn't have good enough uh, production. There was no standout trait outside of he was a plus runner. He was fast. He was athletic. I mean, you go back to his one extended look in 2010, 442 plate appearances. That's more than half of his plate appearances. 251, 302, 635 OPS, 6% walk, 15% strikeout. There just there wasn't enough skill. There was 20 stolen bases, but he got got caught stealing seven times. That's not even a good percentage. He's just a player I look at and I see everything and I'm like, I don't like, again, he could play center better than Snyder. And I guess that's your, your separator, but that is a mind boggler to me. Uh, it's easy to see why it didn't happen. Like he probably, and I even remember at the time when he was drafted and this is the very beginning of me paying attention to such things. You know, I remember 2004, I graduated from college. So 2005 was the first year I was sitting around. I was working in a computer lab after school. Uh, kids were mostly playing like 
RuneScape on the computers. I would help with homework and do some other things. Uh, I remember I was just sitting around with nothing to do. I had like the uh, the aim light on and listening to the draft. Like I was in the very, but I, you know, I would see things and be like, oh, okay, so they, this is viewed as like a, a weird selection. And I remember that Crows was a bit of an overdraft at that point. Brian Barton, we talked about him last year. Uh, the rare, like the Indians had a guy who was a top 10 prospect who they let, didn't protect in the Rule 5 draft, a guy who had played in AA and AAA. And that year in AA in 2007, uh, he had played well. Like he was a better prospect than Trevor Crow. He was. Like, Brian Barton 100% was. And I remember reading scouting reports on him coming up through the system. And he was like an aerospace engineer, and that was a knock on him. He went undrafted out of the University of Miami because he was smart, and people didn't think he wanted to, like, he was interested in baseball. He gets taken by St. Louis, and his one year in the big leagues, a 268, 352, 392, 746 OPS. He walked 10% of the time, struck out 22 his one year in the big leagues is 153 at-bats, and that one year is better than the line that Trevor Kerr, we just talked about, had over his minor league career, yet Barton never gets another chance. Like, he, he ends up in Atlanta and St. Louis in AAA the next year. Numbers aren't great in 2009, but that can happen for a guy who gets kicked down. Goes the independent route, uh, and it's just... He was an older player uh, when he got taken, 26 with that year with the Cardinals. But even I talked about this last year when I discussed him. I have no idea why opportunities just completely faded for him. I don't know why he performed well and then didn't get a shot in the big leagues after that year. Uh, he is a very weird case. And I think part of what you're looking at here is uh, it's kind of a miracle he was even a top 100 prospect, an undrafted player to an, a top 10 prospect or a top 100 in all baseball prospect. Why didn't he make it? it for He had to constantly prove himself, and he teams were looking for him to fail. It, it just feels like that. You go through reading off his OPSs, okay? 2005, uh, 839 and a 1.130 across two levels, 925, 918 in 2006. 2007, the Arrows is an 856, goes up for 87 played appearances, 25 games with Buffalo, 666. So a bit of a, an issue there. But still, an 856 with Akron, a top 10 prospect in a very weak Indian system uh, that needs outfield help. They don't protect him. He gets taken by the St. Louis Cardinals and 73 games in the or 73 played appearances in the minors, 19 games, 82 games in the big leagues, has a good line. He is a guy I don't understand. I just, I don't understand why there are not more opportunities. He was athletic. He was intelligent. I think Brian Barton is more successful nowadays. I think with all the biometrics, with all of the uh, talking to players about, okay, loft angle and launch and things like that, he'd, he would listen. <laughs> he would be the guy who'd sit down and be like, okay, uh, okay. Like he was smart enough to be able to be right at the forefront of everything that's going on now. So I think part of his is he was just wrong era. Like, that's that's where it is with Barton. We are going to leave off right here. I still have a whole list. You know, the Brady Akins, the Alex Whites, the Jason Knapps, and Nick Hagedones, Nick Weglars, Matt Laporta. We'll get into it, but we will leave this one here. Uh, again, you know, getting a little saucy with this one, passing on the things I heard secondhand. Uh, sometimes that stuff's baloney. Sometimes it is true, but it is worth pointing out when you hear it from multiple sources through uh, multiple times and things come up. 
it's just uh, it's fun. It's interesting uh, overall to uh, to hear the gossip, some of the behind baseball, how the hot dogs get made, as it were. I'm Jeff Ellis. I want to thank you for making Locked On Indian Slash Guardians your first listen today and every day. I recommend check out Locked On Cavs. And uh, as we say now, go, go, Guardians, go.